All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Hip Squared, Season 2, 4th of July, Independence Day, Spectacular. Trey, how's it going? I could really go for a bomb pop right now. Yeah? Yeah. Like a little bottle rocket? No, like the the, the um, popsicles. Oh, bomb the, pop. Are those the red, white, and blue ones? Yeah. I think those have six different names. Oh, do they? Yeah, I mean, they always have... Cause, oh, Firecrackers one. Yeah. Hmm, they're probably all named after fireworks because they're red, white, and blue, and probably. they're shaped like... They're cherry... Uh, lemonade and blueberry. I mean, they're red flavor, blue flavor, and white flavor, <laughs> essentially. Exactly. <laughs> they're delicious, though. I mean, it's all it's all artificially flavored, and mm. it tastes like sugar. What more do you want? Exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, it's it it's the uh, the haunting toll of the ice cream truck. Do you get those in your neighborhood? We do. I d- and I didn't know we did until recently, but yeah, they were driving they've been driving around lately. I could hear them when I was uh, out back in my yard today. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> I was going to say it reminds me of childhood, but we never had ice cream trucks on our uh, on our street. No. They never bothered to come by. It's just like Really haunting melodies of Pop Goes the Weasel and things like that. Like, I mean, you know. like only the old broken down ones. Yeah. The new ones are fine. <laughs> like there's there's even ones out there that like play music with words in it. That's, That's really cool. creepy. Oh, <laughs> that was one of the most annoying things is we would have soccer practice and occasionally the ice the um, popsicle place would drive into like where our soccer practice was and just sit there for like 30 minutes and the music would not stop. <laughs> oh God, that's so annoying. It's like, what are you doing here? We're all in the middle of something. We're not going to come over and buy popsicles from you, dude. <laughs> <sighs> so America. So America. Mm-hmm. So um, happy 4th of July. Yay, fireworks Yay. and all that. Um, I'll probably be spending my 4th of July sitting out and looking out the Western Outlook from Iroquois Park mm. because you can see all the fireworks people are launching That's really in the cool. city. Yeah, it's really neat. It's really I, chill. I will probably be spending my 4th of July uh, in cuddling with my new puppy because she'll be so scared of the fireworks. Yeah, you should get in a security vest. Do you know what those are? Uh, those are like tight ones yeah. that like, make them feel, feel like, like they're, they're hugged. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I might do that. Or I could just, I'll just hug her, uh, hug her myself. Okay. Got to save, got to save money somehow. Yeah, I have, I have free hugs. <laughs> um, so, uh, hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Hi. It's a classic Broadway musical, and is what is more American than classic Broadway musicals? Um, Yankee Doodle Dandy. That is a. Bar- is that a probably musical? I thought so. Yankee, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> American Pies are probably also more American. Where does the uh, Where does the Hello Dolly fit into the? Um, American theater canon. Um, Hello Dolly is like, oh, so if you look online, they'll say it's one of the it's it's the one that broke out from the repeated um, theater shows where all they all did the same thing, where it was Happy Go Lucky and um, Big Show numbers, and like it was only Big Show numbers that didn't really move the plot along. If you watch the show, you'll realize it didn't break out that much. It was mm-hmm. a little step, a little breakout. Was it Hammerstein or who did this? Uh, one? No, I did not look up the writers on it, but it was it was writers that I didn't recognize. Um, I'm sure they're famous, but I didn't look it up myself, and it's not Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's not Lin-Manuel Miranda? No, he is not, like, 80 years old. (laughs) So, Hello, Dolly came out in 1966, I believe? 64. 64. And it says the playwright was Michael Stewart, but I don't know if that means he made the music, too. Um, Michael Stewart, Michael Stewart. Yeah, musical by Michael Stewart. That sounds familiar. Whoever Michael Stewart He might have done a couple other, uh, shows. Um... 
but it is a it is by and large a classic Broadway musical. By the way, the reason, reason I'm bringing it up, I just went to see it last night. Um, it was the show. You saw it on the third of July. Yes, <laughs> I saw it last night. Not your last night, okay. though. People in the uh, people in, in the, the ether. Future, yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, Broadway Louisville had a uh, showing of it for about a week. Sorry to interrupt. He also did Bye Bye Birdie. Okay. God, I hate that show so much. (laughs) It's it's another one of those classic shows that, like, okay, I get why it was classic. It's not good, though. There's a really good episode of Mad Men where they make an advertisement based on... um, Bye Bye Birdie? Yeah, and it's the movie version with the woman. I can't remember her name, the blonde woman. It's um, mm-hmm. uh, She just sings the first number, I think. It's, like, really iconic, or it's at a, least it was back then. I hate that show. I saw it once, and I was like, I, if I never see the show again, so I'll like be Hello happy. Dolly Moore? Yes. Okay. Okay, so um, Hello Dolly is this story about a... Um, it's a very classic Broadway musical. It's a story about a woman who... Um, she lives in New York, and her whole job, quote-unquote job, is essentially going out and matching people up. So she's a matchmaker. Yeah, she's a matchmaker. Okay. And it was actually based on a, uh, early earlier 20th century play called The Matchmaker. When, um, so for Hello, Dolly, what era does it, does it take place in contemporary times from when it was released? Uh, no, it takes place early, tw- uh, Turn of the century. So when, like, the source material, I guess, was mm-hmm. created. Okay. Yeah, so early uh, early turn of the century, and it's got this very um, classic look about it. So one thing that I'll have to before I get too deep into it, the story is this woman comes to town, and she's going, she's trying to match this rich guy up with some other woman to uh, get the get those two married, and her whole plan all along is to set herself up with him. Like that that's that's the basic premise of the plot. There's a bunch of other subplots going on at the same time, but they kind of go along with the story. And it's it's a very happy-go-lucky play with the same big chorus lines that other Broadway shows had at the time, like the big singing and dancing numbers, the same terrible jokes that like other Broadway shows had at the time that they do four or five times because I don't know, they couldn't figure out another way to What's an example of one of these? Um, jokes. I'm trying to think if there's one in the show itself. Uh, I'm trying to think of one from the show itself. The one that I always remember is if <laughs> during the show, The Drowsy Chaperone, which is a newer show, it's a newer musical based on making a musical back during this Broadway era. Uh, they do a joke where um, this woman drinks vodka and she thinks it's water. She spits it in the waiter's face. She's like, "No, give me water! Uh, give me water!" And they should—they do it like three times. Okay. And that—that that kind of humor, it, once you know that it exists in these old musicals, like it's just so obvious, and so you, you like, roll your eyes when you see it. They're almost like old vaudeville gigs. You pretty much, and I, they were probably brought over from that era to get people to laugh, kind of break uh, break any tension that might have accidentally welled up in this um, happy-go-lucky story. Um, but the big one is like, there's ones with her. Oh, there's ones with her interrupting this guy uh, or just speaking over this guy. And anytime he thinks he's going to say something, she's like, Oh no, no, please, please. I I don't want to disturb you. And Oh no, no. And there's another, there's another like three minute point where 
they go, does anybody have any questions? And they look to Dolly, who's this, who's the main act uh, person, and go, because she's been talking to the whole show. Does anybody have any questions? They look at her, and she's just like finishing this meal and eating and not really saying anything. They're all waiting on her. And eventually she gets up and does her whole spiel. But like that whole joke, that three minutes of her eating, people are just giggling the whole time. Okay. And it's those kind of dumb jokes that once you know they're in classic Broadway shows, you look at them and you just roll your eyes because like, oh, it's one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, because they're so painfully obvious. Um, so yeah, so I went to see the live show in Louisville. Um, Betty Buckley, who is a um, big hotshot uh, actress. She was in Cats, I believe the original production won a Tony Award for that. Oh, cool. Um, was the uh, was Dolly in this show, uh, which is actually very rare because most of the time, big actresses, um, especially theater performers, divas like that, won't go to uh, won't go do Broadway across America. They want the touring. Yeah, shows. It's, it's beneath them. They don't really need to do it for the money. I'm not sure why she decided to do it, but um, she was fantastic. Um, very fun. Um, kind of older but um like just kept it very entertaining and uh kept like since she carries on the show she did a great job of carrying on the show okay and yeah she has a few if you look up her imdb she has a few things that she's been in like uh there's pretty little liars i think she was a pretty significant character she's been on a few other tv shows as well as movies she, like, like- Known to be a singer, like um, somebody that can belt it out. Um. Well, I mean, if you're if you're on Broadway and you're winning Tony Awards, you can probably do it all. Uh, she's not. I mean, she was she was known to be a singer, and she did she held her songs very well. Her dancing was, um, good, not amazing, but I think this like you don't I think you don't think you need to be that big of a dancer for this show, but. The uh, character of Dolly in Hello, Dolly has been held by a bunch of different um, actresses, uh, big-name actresses. Ethel Ethel Merman's played the part, um, and there were a few others that I can't remember, but it's it's a kind of, since it's a character that steals the show and draws all the attention, um, you'll see... So the Hello, Dolly character kind of carries this show just like... Mary Poppins kind of carries that musical and, and other kind of shows like that. Right. And any any kind of big Broadway shows like that. Like you if you have that one character that carry, uh that carries you through the whole thing. So I found out that Betty Buckley is also the gym teacher in the original movie Carrie. Oh, is she really? So apparently she has had quite a career. Yeah. I mean she like I said, she's a she's a big uh big actress and that's why I think a lot of people uh, came to see this show that may not have otherwise. Uh, the crowd was pretty packed. Um, and I've been getting a decent talk around Louisville. Um, and everyone that I had talked to loved the show. And I thought it was like it was definitely one of those top ones. So. Do they have cool costumes and kind of like oh, cool yeah. sets and everything like that? Yeah, so that was another thing I was going to mention earlier that I before I got distracted. Um, the costumes, the sets, v- very much of the era, like the... Um, they have a couple scenes where they're, like, walking through New York. So they have these drop screens that they um, – that are, like, painted drop, sc- drop screens. And it's, like, the classic way they would have done them to show that you are in an area instead of having those props that are up on the stage. So these, But these drop screens are gorgeous. Um, looks like they're hand-painted, like, big views of the city. Um, like, just, like, walking along a river, uh, just gorgeous paintings uh, for each of these different scenes. So it it has a, 
it has a nostalgia aesthetic of like trying to get people to like remember the good old days yeah, kind of a it Broadway. reminds me of um wasn't what's the one where the woman is like getting trained to be like the the british woman who's getting trained to be more refined um it's not it's not a pretty woman it's, no. it's like pretty woman though, it's basically. like pretty woman but it's i know the one you're talking about um oh but isn't that kind of like in that same sort of nostalgic old timey? Yeah, and like you'll see a ton of pretty much any Rodgers and Hammerstein show is this. Um, oh, what's the one that we did that was like the classic? And they also have this. They have a classic scene. Like any of these old Broadway shows have the classic scene of everybody's on the stage at the end because they have to resolve all the plots and they want to make sure everyone's there to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and like. All of these shows never had any real ten- have any real tension to them. Um, My Fair Lady, that's what we're that's yes. what thinking okay. about. That's, yes, okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, the stakes aren't really high. It's usually kind of, like, lighthearted. And the idea was when, when those shows started getting big was, like, what, the 30s? So it was through the Great Depression. <laughs> and you, wouldn't, you didn't go to a Broadway show to, you know, think or to, like, really analyze the human, the human idea. You went there to have fun, relax, and get away from all of the depressing things that were going on, kinda, going on in the world. It kind of seems like the equivalent of a popcorn romantic comedy picture. Right. But like you wouldn't go to make you think, really. You just go to be entertained. Right. But think that every Broadway show at, like, for 30 years was essentially the same thing. Yeah. And that's why, that's where Hello, Dolly, like, from what I read online, they were like, oh, this is one of the first first shows to b- kind of break that mold. And I was not saying well, it. How are they, did they give specific examples of why they thought this was groundbreaking? I didn't dig into it too deep. Um, I believe the big ones are, so a lot of those shows were similar to the Follies in that the, any big uh, screen t- or any big numbers, like dance numbers, didn't actually push the plot along anywhere. They were just there to like keep your attention, wake everyone up. Okay, you know, get uh, focus back up. We're gonna keep going with the story in a minute. But here's all the pretty ladies and not wearing much clothes that you can watch for a bit. And uh, Hello Dolly, like they actually use the dance numbers to move along the plot. And that was one thing that was very interesting is that um, I normally hate dance shows. Like any time that a show like focuses on there's dance, like all the dancing, like okay, and now there's this ballet break and all this. Hello Dolly had that as well, but it moved the plot along for the most part. There was one exception. There's one song that I remember that like kind of was there for fun's sake, but they did, even in that show, like there were different lines that were dropped in to kind of move the plot and keep it going forward. I think all the musicals I remember um, watching growing up, the everything was part of the plot in terms of the music, like Jesus Christ Superstar and Rent and... Um, Hamilton well, and once shows you, like that. Yeah, and modern shows do that. Like, that's a very modern concept now. If you see a... If you have a show nowadays that does that, where, like, they sit along and do a song just for a song's sake, they better be doing it to, like, kind of point back and laugh at uh, this era or for nostalgia purposes because everybody else is going to be confused why the hell the song was in there in the first place. Yeah, I and mean, there are a lot of movies like that, too. Like, that's kind of what the Fred Astaire movies are like. Or, um, yeah, so Hello Dolly, like it's a fun song. Let's uh, go ahead and play a clip from it now. It's the title song. Hello, well, hello, darling. Well, hello, hey, look, there's Dolly. Bla, 
glad to see you, Hank. Let's thank my lucky star. You're looking great, Stanley. So yeah, so that's your that's your like classic American musical, yeah. and that's what you can expect through most of the show. It does seem kind of like that conventional, old-fashioned, uh, light-hearted sort of music. Yeah, nothing, a whole, not not a lot that's new, but it's uh, it's a classic, and it's there to like make you feel happy and warm your heart. Okay, we're gonna talk about another classic now. Oh, yeah. okay, another yeah. We're gonna step out onto the battlefield. What? And talk about GI Joe the movie from 1987. Oh yeah. So this is an animated film. It's based on Sunbow and Marvel's G.I. Joe cartoon series from the 80s that itself was based on a toy line by Hasbro. And it also had a concurrent Marvel comic that actually outlasted it by about six years. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so there was a toy line that came out, started in 1982. Okay. This was kind of a resurrection of the G.I. Joe Toys from the 60s, which okay. looked like Barbie dolls, but oh, okay. they were army men. Mm-hmm. Action figures. Exactly. But back then, there was only one G.I. Joe. And then in the 80s, it kind of became this military-themed sci-fi show about G.I. Joe, who was this like elite squad of American um, soldiers that all had their own unique specialties. And they all kind of were... Con- like. Sort of that old-fashioned idea of a of a good patriotic soldier, um, but it was neat because they they all had their own kind of talents and costumes. So you had the the more old-fashioned ones like Duke, who just wore like a khaki shirt and green pants and, and carried guns, and um, you had Flint that wore a camouflage and a beret. But then you had people like Snake Eyes, mm-hmm. who were kind of like uh, ninja commandos with katana and an Uzi, and they wore a mask. And then you had Scarlet, who had um, like yellow and purple, and she had a little hand crossbow and, and shot ninja stars and also shot guns. What? Lady J, who kind of had like green fatigues and a hat. You had Roadblock, who was the jive talking um, <laughs> heavy machine gunner. You had Lifeline, who's like a pacifist um, medical officer. And they all kind of had like these really unique and, and sort of um, distinct personalities. And then on the other side of things, you have Cobra who are this um, evil terrorist organization bent on world domination, and oh. everything is snake-themed. And they have, um, like, neat uniforms, um, like bright blue with masks, and um, they have characters like Destro, who is uh, always wearing an iron mask, and this weird collar who's the weapons expert. You have the Baroness, who's kind of like a Eastern European, looks kind of like a dominatrix wearing glasses, <laughs> like black leather kind of looking with um with the cobra sigil on the front yeah cobra com- commander who's this m- megalomaniacal over the top villain who um either wears like a hood like a um, just kind of like this loose cowl with eye holes or okay. he wears a battle mask which is like this silver mask that you can't figure out how he's seen out of <laughs> but um so it's almost like old fashioned um military stories because there was like a long tradition of comics like Sergeant Rock or Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, mm-hmm. the Nam, which were like old um, war themed comics, and then um, you had Larry Hama who did some of the grittier ones for Marvel, like the Nam was a series that came out before GI Joe, and Larry Hama was actually a, G- uh, a Vietnam veteran. So in the comics, there's a lot of 
heavy military jargon okay. and strategy kind of written into the the story. Mm-hmm. But the cartoon is for kids, and it's a little bit more lighthearted and ridiculous. So instead of like actual bullets, it's um, like these lasers. <laughs> Nobody in the cartoon um, ever really dies. So you would see like all these lasers firing past people. <laughs> um, people Everybody get, had terrible aim. Yeah, exactly. They're all in Stormtrooper aim. But you okay. get, they would like knock each other down with punches or um, if like a tank blew up or an airplane, you'd always see a parachute or a guy <laughs> jumping out of it first. Um, they they created this enemy. The Cobra um, created these battle android troopers or bats. And they were these um, kind of like robotic looking soldiers and that's how you, you kind of got around um, actually shooting human characters is you could have them blow up all these oh, robots. Oh, convenient. Exactly. And so each episode of the cartoon was kind of like this weird attempt by Cobra to take over the world. <laughs> One episode, Cobra Commander decided he wanted to burn a laser into the moon to show his portrait. <laughs> There's also one of a weather dominator device. Okay. Um, so they can take control of the weather. One of the really cool arcs between the first season and the second season is Dr. Mindbender, who's like the evil man scientist, mm-hmm. decided to find the resting places of all these old um, conquerors like Genghis Khan and Napoleon. And uh, his idea was to steal their DNA. And um, I think there's about 10 of them, like mm-hmm. Alexander the Great and all these. Um, I was going to say, wasn't Alexander the Great the one that they buried it in the middle of like three deserts and so that nobody could find? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I don't know. <laughs> in, in, in G.I. Joe universe, they, they find, Cobra finds and recovers all of these hmm. remains and then they clone a composite who is going to be the ultimate um, soldier for Cobra and leader of it. Mm -hmm. And that becomes Serpentor. Oh. So everything is snake-themed. And and then before Serpentor comes around. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I just got that. Yeah. So (laughs) everything is snake-themed from Cobra's angle. And so they have, like, in the first season, it's all just them. They have, like, a sigil that looks like a red Cobra. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing literally snake-like about them. Sure. In the second season with Serpentor, he has kind of like this weird like hood that is a serpent's face. He has this green cloak. So it's like a cowl. And... He's like a supervillain, basically. Okay. Um, and in the movie, um, it starts out, it has one of the best openings of any movie ever, mm-hmm. um, especially any animated action movie. It is Cobra in this big kind of like mothership looking plane and they descend on the Statue of Liberty. So they either fly down in jetpacks or they have these things called trouble bubbles which Mm -hmm. are like these um, spherical single person flying machines. Okay. And so they they take over the Statue of Liberty, they start punching people out (laughs) and then they set a bomb Mm -hmm. and then um, G.I. Joe comes to the rescue and so there's this whole battle ensues at the Statue of Liberty. Um, people are getting punched in the face. They, <laughs> and G.I. Joe flies in on these, like, um, jet hang gliders, kind of. Okay. And so um, the very last part is Duke, who's, like, the all-American hero kind of type. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes, this khaki shirt, and, like, green mm-hmm. military fatigues. And then he he's on a jetpack, so he takes the bomb from the Statue of Liberty, flies up to... Uh, the the craft this mm-hmm. giant craft in the sky where it's like Cobra's mothership just as the time bomb's about to go off and he kicks off and then the mothership explodes conceivably 
hundreds of people dying. No, 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 they're all safe, I swear. <laughs> there are no pa- uh, parachutes coming out of this one. I swear, they're and all so safe. Then, and then they kind of, like, pose. It's, it's fine, it was all robots in yeah, there. Yeah, it could have been. <laughs> they all pose at the top of the Statue of Liberty or on the crown. <laughs> and then it's that's and then as this is going on, the theme song, so, like, the really iconic, um, real American hero, G.I. Joe's hair, um, is a uh, part of what, what like that captures okay, okay. so it's basically just the laying whole... out the entire premise here's the good guys and here's the bad guys then it starts getting weird oh, oh okay <laughs> then it gets weird yeah, exactly because <laughs> um so serpentor so starts berating cobra commander in front of all of the top cobra command like his, his uh, the top brass because there is like it's sort of like a hierarchy that you have a lots and lots of grunts but then you have this core cast mm-hmm. um so you have destro the baroness who are kind of like this couple evil couple and then um you have cobra commander who's ostensibly the leader but now there's serpentor who's also kind of considered the leader dr mindbender is the mad scientist mm-hmm. and then I, I would throw zartan up there too who's like this weird shapeshifter character he's kind of like a mercenary okay but he's just like that's like their core um bad guys and so uh then basically this python pythona who's this snake woman comes and infiltrates uh the cobra headquarters and it has this really cool music that goes along with it Pythona has these kind of like um, all of her weapons are organic. Okay. So instead of being technology based, like she's um, she, it's just kind of like a elite warrior. He's able without any guns or anything else. Just she claws through like the outer perimeter fence with these long fingernails. She and they they kind of like have acid coming from them. Oh God. Um, she has these like weird, they're like pods where um these kind of, like, tendrils come out, and they can capture you. Like, they can um, just wrap around you, and then you're incapacitated. She has this, like, weird gas that she can release from these other, like, weird organisms. Mm -hmm. And then she confronts Serpentor and tells him that he's part of this um, ancient reptilian race and that uh, Pothona is a member of this race and that she and the other members of her squad, which include Galobulus, who's like the emperor mm-hmm. of Cobra Law, mm-hmm. which I'll talk about in a moment, and Nemesis Enforcer, who's kind of like this winged warrior. Their race has been um, sending dreams to Dr. Mindbender to get him to cre- create Serpentor to kind of be like their avatar. And they've also been are going to use Cobra as this mechanism to take back the world from humans. <laughs> So this reptilian race is going to basically become resurrected. And the plot of the movie is that they need to capture from G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe's created this um, infinite energy device. It's oh. called a BET. Mm-hmm. Big energy I can't remember what, it, what exactly it stands for. Big energy thing. Big energy thing, exactly. Well, that's Canada. So it kind of becomes the... Um, MacGuffin for the entire movie. Gotcha. And so Cobra needs to, um, they're doing a test out in the mountains 
And for some reason, it just happens to be next to Cobra Law Headquarters, which is in the Himalayas. Oh, convenient. Um, and so it's basically, it looks like this kind of like a satellite array that takes energy in from, and then, like, and then transmits it out to like any um, electrical devices nearby. I see. So Cobra attacks. They um, attempt to capture it, but they can't. And then some of the G.I. Joes follow them into like where Cobra Law is. Okay. But then they get captured. Like they get captured by these like giant, they're like, it's like this weird forest. And then they get uh, captured by these like other tendrils. Oh, God. So you have some capture Joes. You have um, capture Joes. There's some new characters. So there's Lieutenant Falcon, who's like, who's Duke's, um, I think he's his cousin. Please tell me he punches. Does uh, he Falcon punch? No, he does not Falcon punch. He's <gasps> He wears a beret and fatigues as well, but he's kind of like the young hotshot who doesn't take things too seriously. So he's a copy of Duke? No, he's like, <laughs> so Duke is like the paragon of like a dutiful soldier. Mm-hmm. Where Lieutenant Falcon is kind of like, doesn't take anything seriously. And he's sort of like this cocky hotshot. He's kind of coasting on what he thinks is his charisma. Uh, but since he doesn't take things very seriously, he's also like their point of vulnerability as well. Okay. And he gets whipped into shape by this drill instructor named Beachhead who has, uh, he wears like fatigues, but he also wears like a ranger's, like, um, like a ski mask basically. <laughs> and there's this group of other, um, there's Chuckles who wears a Hawaiian shirt. In the comics, he's like a master of disguise, but in the, oh. he's just kind of like this goofy character. There's Jinx, who is a, um, she's like a ninja girl. Oh, okay. And then there's Tunnel Rat, who has like this weird painted camouflage and wears like a military police uniform. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He wears like a, um, like fatigues as well and like blue jeans. It's weird because in Vietnam, the term tunnel rat are people that used to go into tunnels and shoot at Viet Cong. So when I hear tunnel rat, I think of, uh, I think it's tunnel snakes. What are they from Fallout 3? Maybe. Uh, I think it's the Tunnel Snakes. Tunnel Snakes for life. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so, and then, like, basically, eventually, they capture the BET. There's this huge battle at G.I. Joe headquarters. They capture the BET, and a lot of it is because um, Lieutenant Falcons invited this woman on a date to the base who's actually a spy, a Cobra spy. (laughs) And so they exploit all these vulnerabilities, and um, Lieutenant Falcons also nodded his post. Oh, okay. So... Uh, Cobra get, captures the BET, and then what they plan for this is is gonna, there's all these spores in outer space, mm-hmm. and transmitting the energy, that's like the only thing that can get enough energy out there to ripen the spores, and then when they all come onto Earth, they'll transform all the humans into snake people, and the snake people will take the world back over. Snake people, snake people. Exactly. Got it. Okay. And, um, and so... Cobra Commander becomes the first victim of these spores because for his incompetence, they release these spores on him and then he slowly transforms into a snake for the rest of the movie. And that's actually like a pretty horrifying That sounds like a terrifying Because you never see um, Cobra Commander's face. Mm-hmm. He's always wearing his uh, hood or his mask. And then when you see him, he he's just like transforms into this like half snake, half person. That's... And slowly, like, eventually he starts turning into a, um, a snake. That's terrifying. And then in the meantime, um, Lieutenant Falcon sent out to train with Sergeant Slaughter and the Renegades. Mm-hmm. So Sergeant Slaughter is, like, another um, drill instructor kind of character. I was assuming he was a bad guy, but go no, on. No, he's, he's a good guy. He's also the same Sergeant Slaughter that was, like, in the WWF. It's, like, the same wrestler. Mr. Slaughter? Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant. Yeah. Titles are very important. Exactly. He was kind of, like, a contemporary of Mr. D, I'd say. Uh, 
um, but he's okay. like a he's like a big bulky like drill instructor. Gotcha. And um, the Renegades are kind of like his squad that's too um, tough and like they're they break the rules kind of. So they're sort of like they're they're um, Renegades. Renegades. Ah, exactly. uh, okay, okay, got it. And so eventually, <laughs> uh, there's this climactic sort of. Um, well, the battle for the BET, um, Serpentor and um, Lieutenant Falcon shoots a bazooka at Serpentor and like uh, incapacitates his vehicle. And this is like for the giant battle for the BET. Mm-hmm. But then he makes himself vulnerable to Serpentor, and that's where Duke has to step in and defend him. <laughs> Right, and that was uh, <laughs> Serpenter's battle cry, um, <laughs> where he... And, and, okay, so the funny thing about Cobra Law, too, is when they were writing the script, they didn't have any specific name for this other species. Okay. So they used Cobra Law as a filler, but then, for whatever reason, Hasbro, whoever was making the movie, decided they just liked that. <laughs> and so Cobra, la, 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 that's what Serpenter always says, and it's the most ridiculous battle cry. <laughs> Young one, you nearly thwarted my destiny. Die, arrogant earth scum. No! Duke. But his sacrifice will be in vain. This I command. <laughs> so that's how Serpenter talks all the time. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing about that scene is, so G.I. Joe the movie and the Transformers the movie, um, they're both based on Hasbro toy properties. Right. And in Transformers, Optimus Prime is the main character. He's kind of like the equivalent of Duke. He's like the main good guy. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, he and Megatron battle toward the beginning, and Optimus Prime actually dies. Oh. And that was released in theaters, and it upset children, and it upset parents. Mm-hmm. And so in G.I. Joe the movie, Duke originally died in the script, but then they added um, voiceover after effects, saying that he went into a coma, and at the end of the movie that he's going to be okay. <laughs> so they retconned <laughs> his death even before the movie was released to soften that blow. Oh, my gosh. Um and then the last part of the movie is just about <laughs> so Lieutenant Falcon redeeming himself. Go ahead. No, so we okay. So we watched the video beforehand, and you showed it to me. And I kid you not, he has a snake thrown through his heart. Yeah. So <laughs> Serpentor has these two snakes that are always kind of wrapped around his shoulders, and he can take them. And then it like he like stiffens them somehow, and kind of turns them into these spears. And he sh- throws one right at Duke's heart. It goes right into his heart. And it's the only time you ever see blood in any of these G.I. Joe cartoons, but you see some blood come out of Duke's chest. And he obviously dies uh, in Lieutenant Falcon's arms. And so the last act of the movie is Lieutenant Falcon redeeming himself by going into Cobra Law with the Renegades and a lot of other G.I. Joe. And then they rescue the G.I. Joe that are already there. Um, One of the G.I. Joe's roadblock is blinded, and the... Cobra Commander turning into a snake becomes his eyes, and then, like, they, he sort of guides them. It's really weird. <laughs> um, and then there's, like, a final battle where all the Cobra Law is defeated, and it, and they keep these spores from being released, and they they kind of save the world and civilization. Um, 
So that's G.I. Joe the movie. This is the movie I rented over and over and over again when I was a kid, whenever I go to the video store. That's adorable. Um, it's and I think it still holds up. It's one of the best 80s sci-fi animated action movies I've ever seen. Like I would put it up there with Akira, with the original Transformers movie. Um, it's top quality action animation, and it definitely captures its era of kind of like Saturday morning cartoons that were also commercials for toys. Mm-hmm. So I well, highly like, recommend that. I certainly know more about it. So while you're watching it, like after you watch the fireworks and you're eating your apple pie, you can turn on some uh, G.I. Joe the movie and you'll feel the triumph of um, the American fighting spirit. Yep. I certainly do know more about G.I. Joe now. <laughs> and sadly, that was the final of, of this um, arc of G.I. Joe, the first two seasons in the movie. This was the final one Sunbow and Marvel didn't make any episodes after this. And now I know about it. Now you know. Knowing it's half the battle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we did want to thank you very much for listening to Hip Squared. Um, best way to follow the show is to like American Fantastic on Facebook and to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Um, Google, I, Google Podcasts and iTunes both have us available. Uh, you can also... Follow American Fantastic on Facebook. We make posts every time an episode is released. And you can check out um, in the audio and podcast section on American Fantastic. You can also download and stream all the episodes directly from there. wanted to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro music. Thanks, Dana. If you need any music for your uh, royalty-free music for your project, that's an excellent resource to use. And we were produced today by Mayplex Monk. Thanks, Maple. If you uh, want to check out any of his other projects, you can go to mayplexmonk.com. Uh, the best way to support the show, tell some friends about us. Uh, if you have any G.I. Joe nerds in your life or people that have seen, especially the newer movies, I have not seen any of the live-action ones. They look pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you could kind of, uh, or if you like those movies, you can uh, take a peek back into the past and the original source material or um, with or, your, or listen to a cool musical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could listen to a cool musical, but... Um, but yeah, if you have people that you know that, that share those interests, definitely uh, share the show with them. You can share us on social media. You can also rate us on uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts. And you can support the show, too, by becoming a member of Fantastic Amer- American Fantastic on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. <laughs> Anything helps. <laughs> Um, Troy, is there anything I'm forgetting? There's actually two things. Okay, go ahead. One, if you're going to listen to a musical over uh, 4th of July, don't listen to Hello, Dolly. Listen to Hamilton. It's much better, and it has history. And it's patriotic, yeah. Yep. Two, I totally forgot what two is. I think we're good now. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll catch you all next time. Toodles. Toodles.